have to i have a, a book for my black studies class my religion and black studies class i have a book that is uh called black marxism it's like it's like a the quintessential book about the black radical tradition and like the way in which mm-hmm. Marxist thought influences that and it is 530 pages <laughs> and, and 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 i'm like jesus christ what do you want me to do with this like, like and, and and my professor is his name's dr parker and kai, kai parker really sweet black guy and he's he's just like yeah just you know needs to be read for april 3rd i was like fucking hell the whole thing and and, and he's like yep, yep whole thing if I'm going to read something that's 560 pages, it better have fucking hobbits in it, okay? That's all yeah, it better be it. fucking great. That's all I'm going to say. I better, I better close that book and go, I'm a black Marxist now. They've convinced me. They've convinced me, you know, like, like Jesus Christ. <laughs> talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind usually over hookah enjoy i uh i feel okay i started my semester this week yeah gotta get uh all kinds of books but we've got to time it out right because we don't have the money right now (laughs) and so we are Trying to figure out when I absolutely need them to start reading them. My, so my they'll, black... they'll, they'll pay you. They'll pay you to go to school, but they won't pay for your books. Yeah. That no, seems a little not. backward. I think it's a little backwards too. I, I actually, so like one of the things that uh, in in the higher education world that's happening is, in general, higher education is is suffering, but not just with the pandemic but just in general even before the pandemic but the humanities what i'm in are, are really underfunded and and are are you know kind of quietly being phased out even among like really great programs in different schools and it's because of you know it's just because of bad well i shouldn't even say bad it's because of of practices in terms of running universities with like a profit in mind and so which I get, you know, or profit as in being solvent, making, having the money to continue to function and, and in different ways. And so liberal arts colleges are shutting down the liberal arts because they don't make a lot of money. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> they're the liberal arts. Like, like that's, that's <laughs> the point. Like, like we know that they don't make a lot of money, but part of the reason why we have liberal arts colleges is because we believe that the liberal arts are important, you know, like, like that's, <laughs> That's the idea. When people are like, uh, well, well, I didn't make this up, but a buddy of mine in, in college made it up. He was a philosophy major. And uh, he once got into an argument with uh, Arslan, my buddy Arslan, who's a doctor now. And Arslan's like, I just think that, you know, biology is way more important than philosophy. And, and that's what Arslan said. And my buddy Ross is like, why do you think that? 
and Arsalan starts telling him why, and Ross interrupts and he goes, "Stop! You are doing philosophy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I need you to relax. You know, <laughs> like the why is philosophy, my friend. You know, you got to get over it." <laughs> My point is, I think that the way you, I think that the way you fix that is you admit less PhD students all across the board and increase funding for them so that you can support them better. And then you're not flooding the job market because the job market's already sucks. You have rather than, I mean, we sort of did this for the pandemic. I'm seven instead of 11 people in my program. Usually it's 11 people in the cohort and my cohort was only seven, so that's good. But my funding didn't go up because that was how they saved money. I was like, you just up the funding. Just up the funding like and I can afford everything. They seems like they have a kind of company store scam going on there too with your books. <laughs> well, you might be right. You might be right. So But I think I think uh, the the death of the humanities is it starts much sooner than at the collegiate level, I mean, right now we're only common core testing, reading and math, yep. you know, kids aren't getting at a young age. They're not getting a well-rounded education. They're getting a very specialized education because we need those worker bees. Mm-hmm. We need those, the, the big, the big companies, the big tech corporations, everybody needs those worker bees. And you only need, you don't need to know how to think. You just need to know how to add. You, you're exactly so, right. And, and quite frankly, it, though a uh, population that can think for itself and is well-developed and well-rounded and well-cultured is much harder to control. Oh, certainly. <laughs> certainly. Remember liber- what, what's really happening is liberal arts is being consolidated to the elite. And, and so if you can afford to go to Yale, then of course you can study philosophy. <laughs> right. You know, if you can afford to go to, uh, Dartmouth, then of course you can study uh, art. Like, of course you can. But uh, if you can only afford to go to uh, Millersville University or Slippery Rock or, or whatever, then no, you don't get to study any of that. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not for you, which is, uh, which is scary. Because the last thing we need is rich people who uh, think they're smarter than they really are. Well, and then we already have that, but then you don't have the ability. You, you get a disconnect with society all the way down, mm. you know, um, whenever it's perceived that only elite people are able to study the humanities, you know, the, uh, the Joe, the plumbers <laughs> get a very, uh, binary view, a very, uh, a very narrow view of, of what their lives are. And uh, there's not a lot of communication involved. And when there's no communication, there's no understanding and there's no agreement. And then you have polarity like we have now. Mm-hmm. So I think part of the reason, like I, I said before, I think I said it in one of the earlier podcasts, like the way out of this, uh, cultural deadlock that we're in is education people have to be able to learn how to learn (laughs) learn how to listen and you don't get that from a 
a trade school. Not that there's anything wrong with a trade school. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that somebody who's involved in a trade school would benefit from an art or a theater or a philosophy class. Mm-hmm. You know, and even if it was something that they could take because they wanted to, because it was interesting to them. Mm-hmm. And if the option's there, but it doesn't hurt you financially to take it, you'd probably be better off if you take it. Um, when I went to school, I had a lot of student debt, student loan debt. Um, I didn't get any, didn't get a lot of support from my family. They didn't have it to give it to me. Um, I didn't pay attention or work hard enough to get a lot of scholarships. So um, I was working while I was in college and I was paying my own way for the most part. My dad helped me out a little bit with like rent and stuff, but uh, for the most part, I was on my own and uh, I took like 24, 25 credits a semester. Mm-hmm. Because the way it was set up in my uh, college at the time in the late 90s was if you had a 12 credit load, you were considered a full time student and that qualified you for all your student loans and whatnot. And anything basically anything after 12 credits was free. Hmm. You know, so you could take as many credits as you wanted. As long as you had a minimum of 12, you could have as many credits as you wanted. So I took like 24 credits a semester and I got three degrees in four and a half years. So like the way that it was structured, it, it allowed you to take literally whatever you wanted. You knew you had your things that you had to do for your curriculum. You know, you had your required classes, but I took a lot of classes that I just thought were cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. I don't know that that option's out there anymore because of the way the uh, higher education market has been set up is everything's profit motive. So, and we've talked about how profit motive sucks and, and privacy in private life so uh it does yeah, it's just it doesn't uh doesn't lend itself to a good education whenever your only motivation is to to profit off of the off of the customer yeah so. yeah no i agree there's, there's been some wackiness with marilyn manson not that marilyn manson was ever like my favorite musician but yeah, there's I always the, wackiness with Marilyn Manson. That's true. But I see the connection. <laughs> well, one the, we, well, one of the things, well, let, let me say this. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. One of the things that, that we did not mention at our, in our inaugural episode was uh, your band uh, <laughs> and, and the way in which uh, yeah. Hellbent, yeah. <laughs> look them up, ladies, look them up. Um, as long as Richie's still in the band, there's at least one sexy person there. So yes, that that's true. But uh, Hellbent, a, a, uh, uh, one of the highlights of my time living up in central Pennsylvania with Matt was going to see his band every chance I got and uh, yeah, getting uh, intoxicated and telling them to play songs they would never play, even though it would make me happy, which, you know, whatever. But, uh, but you want to tell the people about Hellbent really quick? Quick plug for Hellbent. Well, Hellbent is a... a- a heavy metal hard rock band that plays all the classic heavy metal and hard rock hits and uh from the from the late 70s and 80s and we're just a bunch of guys that like we we remember a time whenever people used to play instruments <laughs> and uh we're we're fans of that style of music and we decided that we were going to play 
um, songs from bands like, you know, Black Sabbath and Judas Priest and Led Zeppelin and a lot of a lot of stuff that that traditionally isn't heard out. No, we play a lot of stuff that is traditionally heard out too. We play the ACDCs and the staples like that. But um, we just decided we were going to play some stuff that normally people don't hear around here and uh, stuff that's a little bit more technically challenging. We're fortunate that we have some pretty good musicians in our in our group, and uh, we just take it out. We took it out, uh, started playing in different bars in the local area and found out that people were really yearning for that stuff that they didn't hear it very often there was a lot of uh uh pop punk and like Mm. 90s radio bands out there they played like stone temple pilots not that there's anything wrong with those bands i'm not saying that but like that was what people always got to hear and you didn't really get to hear an old you know priest song Right. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that that like that stuff. And we've been pretty well received since. So we just keep doing it. And uh, we're not we're not original. We don't, uh, <laughs> we don't write our own music or anything like that. We just uh, we're a bunch of we're we're five music fans that play the stuff that we love. And it, I think it shows whenever oh, we yeah. put on a whenever we put on a concert, we uh, we ham it up quite a bit. And uh, we really have a good connection with our crowds and they love us and we love them. And it's just a good time. So. Absolutely. No, I have a blast. I I always love seeing you guys play. And as much as I like to make fun of you guys and I do, I love to do it, but but that's, (laughs) that's only because that's only because I love you all. There, there's always been, there was always some really great cuts in, in that I didn't expect. Right. So like one of the first times I've ever seen you guys play, you know, I, you and I had talked about it, so I knew what to expect. Like, I knew what some of the music was going to be. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a Kiss song. Well, that's that's cool. Or, I mean, it's not cool. Kiss is really uncool. But that's fine. Like, Kiss, people like it, you know. And, and <laughs> oh, uh, that's you know, for whom the bell tolls. Well, if Nick were here, he'd be like, yeah, Metallica. And I'd be like, yeah, whatever, you know. But then Rapchild, <laughs> then you play Rapchild by Iron Maiden. Yeah. I'm like. Okay, Rapchild. <laughs> Rapchild's a, a fantastic song. Um, there you go. If you don't know Rapchild, friends, so if you're but if you're listening to this uh, uh, podcast and and maybe you know a little bit about heavy metal, maybe you know the band Iron Maiden. Chances are you do not know Rapchild. Not not because it's like a because it's a, a big secret, but because it's probably off of an album that you're not familiar with, because most people <laughs> who know Maiden know Number of the Beast on, right. and Wrathchild is from the Killers record, and Killers is before Number of the Beast, Bruce Dickinson's not in it. Uh, I think it might be uh, Paul Diano's best vocal work, though. Probably is. Paul Diano is not a great singer. Um, <laughs> like, may he rest in peace. Is he alive? I don't know. But... Uh, but but Rapchild, I, I always thought he he sounded good on, it. and that was that's a pretty that's a pretty great uh, song. So I I like it, and I always like I always want Matt to Matt I always want Hellbent to play Saint Anger because that's <laughs> easily easily the best Metallica record. Uh, everybody we don't knows have that. a we don't have a bucket we don't have a bucket for a right. drummer to hit. I, I don't know how you can play Saint Anger without uh, a collection of tin cans, you know to. <laughs> To, to smack around like Lars apparently did when they did St. Anger. And there's entirely too much Judas Priest for my taste, but that's just because I'm not a huge Judas Priest fan. Well, that's because you're just objectively wrong. 
<laughs> I understand. I understand. I also listen to all the screaming stuff, and so yeah. that's the other. That's the other problem. Yeah, we I, don't do I a lot of the. We don't do a lot of the guttural. Like, there's no black metal or death metal or a lot of the like static X type. We don't do any of that stuff. So. Mm-hmm try to keep it pretty tradi- traditional we do a lot of 80s hair metal um True. that stuff is really technically difficult to play you don't understand unless you're a musician you really don't understand how hard some of those songs really are um and whenever you see you know an old video of a guy that's dressed like a woman and he's dancing around and you know screaming about you know having sex on a car or something it, you don't take it very seriously, but when you when you're a musician and you actually try to figure out those licks, that shit's hard, man. I believe, <laughs> you know? I believe it. I believe it. I, I I know that your favorite uh song, Wanted Dead or Alive by Bob yes. Jovi. You guys we need to talk about that. I we need to talk about that. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell the tell the tell the uh tell the people why that song is so important. Uh, Matt Matt loves that song because he uh-huh. really thinks that John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora are really getting at the truth, right? Like they're really right. they're really highlighting what it feels like to be a a, a rock star in the eighties. How painful that must have been. How hard that is, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, which is why I chose it for the <laughs> opening song, piano cover for of the opening song for uh, our podcast. And I did it, and you need to understand this. As I was editing that together, I was just giggling. Like I was I like, knew gonna, I knew you were gonna giggling like this. a schoolgirl. He's gonna, he's gonna love it. He's gonna love it. He's gonna <laughs> hear the 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 matches go off, and like, oh yeah, we're lighting the hookah. Oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Doom, 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 doom. Oh fuck! Right, right, yeah. yeah <laughs> that is that's... pretty much exactly what happened. Whenever I heard that, I was like, oh. See, this is the problem when you give all the creative decision making to one person and that person's a jerk. Uh, <laughs> and then when, when I'm a bad man. Now, let me be very clear about something, okay? I do not hate Bon Jovi. Sure. I, I never hated Bon Jovi. But that song and songs like it piss me off. <laughs> If you listen to the song Wanted Dead or Alive and you listen to its lyrical content, in a nutshell, it's John Bon Jovi complaining about his fans and his stardom. And that uh, offends me (laughs) because (laughs) because I would trade places in a heartbeat and I would take on that uh, that uh, uh, that poor struggle from that poor man. And, and I bet you I'd do better with it. Now, it's easy for me to say that having not been a star. But um, when you look at when you look at bands like uh, some of the bands that, that I love, they're appreciative of where they are sure. from their fans. Like Iron Ma- Bruce Dickinson will stand after an Iron Maiden show with 100,000 people and talk to every one of them if he can. You know, and that's admirable to me. He recognizes where he came from. He recognizes what he had. Um, uh, Simmons, Gene Simmons, Simmons, same way. Arrogant bastard, Mm -hmm. you know, but has a place for the fans, right? You never hear a song like Wanted Dead or Alive from Kiss. (laughs) Yeah, well, that would be, that would be poor. That would be a poor decision. (laughs) Kiss is... 
The yeah. point is, Bon Jovi's got a lot of great tunes. Richie Sambora is a fantastic guitar player. They're, they're mus musically very good. I like a lot of their songs. When I was a kid, uh, I had their Slippery When Wet album on tape. You know, oh, wow. like I, I, I liked, I like Bon Jovi. I just like that particular song because of its lyrical content rubs me the wrong way. It's it's always, it's always irritated me and uh, people love to make fun of me with it. Every time we play kamikaze karaoke, someone makes me sing that. Um, so those of you that don't know what kamikaze karaoke is, I, I recommend that's the way you do karaoke from this point forward. You pick a song for the next person to sing and they have to do it. <laughs> it's a really fun way to do karaoke. But every time we do that, somebody makes me sing that goddamn song because they know it just drives me nuts. I hear that. I hear that. And now it's on the yeah. front of our web or our our podcast. That's it's great. true. And, and, and I and I you'd be shocked at how long it took me to find the piano cover that I really thought was going to hit it right. Like I was I was like, there's got to be a piano cover. There was one of a of a girl singing it and, and with acoustic guitar. And I was like, no, that's no, I don't want that. But then the piano cover, I was like, there you go. That's what we want. I'm um, glad you were so devoted to that song in particular. That was I was. I knew I had a vision. I knew what that needed to be. Um <laughs> Speaking of Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora is is I think on Bon Jovi. John ba the Bon Jovi the band is on the the list of bands in my heart that have uh, uh, better backup singers than the lead singers. Yeah, um, and nobody gets enough credit for that. U two is another one because the Edge can sing like a fucking maniac, and, and <laughs> yeah. Bono's fine. Like, like I don't hate U two. I know it's it's easy to hate U two. I really don't hate U two, but like the Edge can sing like a fucking maniac. That guy, that guy's <laughs> incredible, and and uh, and Bono's fine, but the Edge is great, and Richie Sambora is the same way. Like every time right. I listen to like a, there's a couple of cool live renditions of of any of their songs, but particularly one of Dead or Alive. Richie Sambora just sounds like a monster, and and yeah, you know, John's okay. Like John's like, yeah, whatever. But well, yeah, but there's like, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that in rock music. Like uh, Michael Anthony from Van Halen. Oh yeah, yeah. Chicken foot. Now there's a guy that can sing his balls off, mm -hmm. and he was like, not even like when you say Van Halen, you don't even think about Michael Anthony. Nope. <laughs> you know. Nope. So uh, by the time we started recording this, listeners, I, I don't know when this is going to drop. Um. There's uh, some interesting stuff happening with Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Um, now, Marilyn Manson, I have, uh, I don't know exactly where Marilyn Manson fits in, Matt, with your um, growing up. Uh, because I kind of have a, as a millennial, I kind of have a, uh, a, a strange relationship to the heavy music of the very late 90s and first, like, seven or eight years of the 2000s where where on one hand i recognize that a lot of it is bad like like i recognize <laughs> that a lot of it like and i do and i will admit it like i was like i recognize that a lot of it is bad um maybe not all of it but but a lot of it but there's some nostalgia there not just because of it's when i grew up but it's also when i was able to find music by myself and so this, so so that time period, I I've always listened to heavy music. My mom was a, a, a an '80s metal chick, and I assume 
was a, you know, she never admitted this flat out, but based on pictures I've seen and, and strange cryptic stories that I've heard, uh, may have been like a backstage girl. I don't exactly know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I know that when she started dating my dad, my, my, my dad's parents uh, were like, were like, we do not want you to date that gutter trash. And my dad was like, my dad was like, I like her. <laughs> the full disclosure, my mom is in no way gutter trash. <laughs> like she's very, um, but, but, you know, I guess she wore a lot of short skirts and feast up hair and, and stuff. And so I grew up listening to a lot of the stuff that, that Hellbent plays, which is why I know it. Like, like oh, yeah, like, you know, I, I grew up listen. I grew up having the entire Appetite for Destruction album memorized by eight, <laughs> you know. And so I say all this because like folks like Marilyn Manson, not just Marilyn Manson, but folks like Marilyn Manson, for me, represent the first wave of heavy music that I that was mine. You know, my mom didn't listen to Marilyn Manson or or um, Disturbed or System of a Down or uh, I didn't listen to Linkin Park because they're garbage. But but like, you know, but but bands like that. Right. Like like my mom didn't listen to them. I did. And I was able to find them and research them on my own. So even though I'm not a huge Marilyn Manson fan, I have this uh, uh, place in my heart for this style of music. Um, I don't know what you were doing during that time. I assume you're like in college, probably around that time or getting yeah. out of college. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about uh, uh, well, the Limp Biscuits of the world? <laughs> I, well, I grew up um, in the 80s listening to a lot of the stuff that my dad had on 8-track. Uh, Toto, Foreigner. Ooh. You know, bands like that, very skilled Boston, very skilled yeah. bands, very instrumental bands, very musically talented bands. And my um, my foray into music on my own was with the likes of early Metallica, early Megadeth. Um, I just really liked the 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 visceralness of the music. And my mom was convinced that I was worshiping the devil. At the mm -hmm. time, there that was a lot around the. Do you ever hear of the PMRC? Yes, yes, yes. That with, was, uh, what's his name? D. Snyder going D. against Snyder uh, from Twisted Sister. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that was it. Was that was a big deal whenever I was coming through high school, and um, if it had a PMRC label on it that said explicit lyrics, I was like, oh, I want that, <laughs> you know, because that was the edgy stuff at the time. So. Mm -hmm. um, by the time Marilyn Manson rolled around, um, there was really a divergence between grunge, which was a new scene that was hitting in the late 80s, early 90s. And that the way that heavy metal went was towards the Limp Bizkits, towards the, the new metal, if you will, mm -hmm. um, which I never really gravitated to. I just didn't I didn't find it as compelling as as the uh, other stuff. And I was really into punk music at the time. And I still am into punk music. Um, so what happened for me was I listened to all these bands like Foreigner and Toto and Boston. And I thought, man, I'd love to learn how to play guitar. And then I started playing guitar, listening to like Metallica and Megadeth. And I never took any lessons or anything. I've always been able to just kind of pick up a, an instrument and fiddle around with it a while until I could play things. So I remember 
1987, 1987, I got the Master of Puppets album from a friend of mine's older brother, and I learned how to play every note on that on my guitar. Um, a shitty little harmony guitar with a warped neck that my dad bought me for like 70 bucks. So I'm up there just ripping away on like Master of Puppets, playing as fast and as loud as I could. And like my mom's getting pissed and mm. she's, she's like, she kept like throwing away my t- tapes. So what I, you'd have oh to dub tapes. You have to th- dub tapes back in the day, right? So it'd be just like this uh, clear plastic tape with no with no label on it or anything. And I'd have I'd have to go get Master of Puppets from my buddy's brother and tape it on there. And then I'd label it. I'd lay it, label it like, you know, cheap trick. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. So my mom wouldn't throw it away. And then I'd listen to it on my Walkman, you know, and I'd rock out to it and. Um, they were like, well, why can't you, my mom always wanted me to play guitar in church. She's like, why can't you play guitar in church? I'm like, that's not really <laughs> what I want to do with the guitar, mom. You know. <laughs> so, um, but then I started listening to, I, I started listening to bands like, um, the Misfits and the Dead Kennedys and, uh, all those, the, the Ramones classic punk bands. And those songs were really easy to play. Sure. Right. So that's that's really kind of what got me into that. I could I could play those songs in a matter of second. And I really liked the music, too. And I started listening to what they were saying and sure. and bands like the Dead Kennedys and Bad Religion. Um, no effects. Those types of bands really had interesting lyrical content to me. Whenever grunge came along and wiped out almost overnight the entire 80s hair metal scene like music changed right away mm-hmm. and uh everybody was into nirvana and Soundgarden, and that was kind of the, like suddenly became the new mainstream now i had had a, uh, an album from nirvana called bleach that's before before nevermind came out mm-hmm. and i had that album and uh, i remember whenever everybody started liking nevermind and Smells Like Teen Spirit was like the thing on MTV. It was on every 15 minutes. I remember thinking, where the hell have you guys been? I've been listening to Bleach for like a year. Right. Right. And it was kind of like an affront that like this, these these new, these guys like were taking taking something that was mine and then they, now it was popular and it wasn't suddenly it became not cool to me. <laughs> right. Sure. sure. So you had that and then you had the new metal kind of wave too where everybody's wearing the big baggy pants and the spikes and the black clothing and black hair and white on her face and black lipstick and black fingernails and that real gothy right and i yep. was like fuck you guys man <laughs> i didn't want to get involved in any of that either um i didn't think marilyn manson was particularly good i didn't think that the music was particularly interesting i just didn't get the uh I, I didn't get the same feeling off of that as I did like a, a Deftones album or something like that. I, yeah, I, sure. I, I, I felt where, you know, a, a, a singer was coming from on a punk album. And with Marilyn Manson, it was shock. It was just shock yeah. drop stuff to me. It, and it was like, uh, it's kind of Alice Cooper, but in poor taste. Right. Yeah, like Alice, Cooper, Alice Cooper has always been about that shock value, but like, Alice Cooper's a sweetheart, right? right Everything right. he's doing is is for 
the stage for an artistic aesthetic. And I suppose Marilyn Manson is too, really. But he has a much more tragic backstory. Brian Warner, which is Marilyn Manson's real name, had a pretty strange upbringing. And a lot of that comes out in his music and his art. And I respect it, but I don't identify with it as much. So I never really got into the new metal stuff. I never got into the Limp Biscuits or the Stains or the, you know, sounded like a bunch of like privileged white boys crying about bullshit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I was really it. focused on like, well, yeah, but like the 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 government's trying to keep you down, or the, you know, there's there's uh, you know, the social structure in your school is is set up to you know, control your mind. And I was getting all that stuff from the punk music I was listening to. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's what really gravitated, I really gravitated to, was the kind of um, the lyrical content of bands like Bad Religion and No Effects. And, and uh, th th those are the ones that I went towards. So I was never really a big Marilyn Manson fan e either because I just didn't dig his vibe. I mean, what he was yeah. trying to do the the uh, the artistic quality that he had just wasn't something that spoke to me. It, it, I mean, it spoke to a lot of people that felt that they were, you know, outcasts or or um, you know, it was it was just depressing to me. <laughs> so it was yeah. never something that I really enjoyed much, and I didn't find the music interesting enough to uh, get past that, unfortunately. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. I uh, I think with Manson, my experience with Manson has always been a kind of odd because other than the fact that I, I also didn't really get into him, like I got into a couple of his songs. Like, I think everybody sort of knows the beautiful people. Well, that's, um, yeah. That's like his, the big song. That, and, and that's like, what's what make, what makes, what made that time period kind of interesting, like the new metal time period kind of, kind of strange and interesting was the best of the new metal bands really able to write catchy things and so uh even if it wasn't everybody's favorite thing the catchiness of the songs like i think of uh uh white zombie i love rob zombie but i yeah. uh secretly but or not so secretly but i prefer when he was in white zombie like i prefer right. that 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 stuff and and that is not complex not all that complex no like, but like, it's also it's also not terribly original and it, it's different right. it's different but it's not terribly original that stuff's all based on like 60s surfer rock and it's just yeah, yeah yeah it's given a bit of a different flavor and it's great like i love uh, like that that feels good that's a good mm. like if you listen to the song thunder kiss 65 but i mean that's got a visceral kind of primal kind of dance around the campfire sort of like shtick that's been around in music for a while you know and what mm. rob zombie was able to do is was harness that and kind of redirect it into his own thing which is really all music because all music's based on the same set of notes right so it's just a matter of how you compile those notes and how you you know arrange them and some things work and some things don't you know buddy holly was the original punk rocker if you ask me you know <laughs> and uh everything else has been built off of what he did you know or chuck berry did like this has all been recycled and reused over and over again. Um, nothing's nothing's really new. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, 
but yeah, I, I didn't find the direction that Marilyn Manson took his music or Stained or 311 or any of those other right bands. I didn't find that terribly compelling. But like Rob Zombie's stuff, while not new, still scratched those sort of itches that have been scratched for the you know last five decades before it. Right. They had the same kind of rhythms and the same kind of candors that that work. They just work. Right, right. And I and I, I agree with you. My relationship with Marilyn Manson is always so strange because I was a church kid growing up, obviously, as that's part of my story. Um, well, so was Brian Warner. So was Brian Warner. Well, well, that much is obvious. <laughs> I'm like, well, of course he was a church kid growing up. Well, but that um, was before he was a satanic minister. But yeah, you know. Right, right. But uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm this church kid kind of growing up. I, I, I have my, you know, kind of different conservative tendencies as a church kid growing up, even though my family's not that conservative. It's just what happens when you immerse yourself without thinking too hard in the church, you know, you have your tendencies, but like by and large, I also didn't really buy a whole lot of it, which is also part of my story. And so Marilyn Manson struck me as um, a little shallow, like uh, the, the aesthetic of, you know, the satanic aesthetic and the, 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 you know, God, God's not real. Okay. Listen, brother, I think you're right, but I'm not wearing makeup. Like I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just doing my thing, you know, or, or, or stuff, stuff like that. Or, or, you know, the religion's trying to control your mind. Yeah, of course, Marilyn, but so is everything. So are you, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right? Like you, you literally made music like, like the, what <laughs> is that, you know, but not that. Uh, and so I, I wasn't ever terribly impressed is, is kind of my point. At least I don't remember being terribly impressed. I'm sure I was. Um, cause you know, all young people are impressionable. Um, but I, I remember being, I, I know I get frustrated with Marilyn Manson mostly because, um, I think the, the shock, the shock rocking is something I wrap my brain around well, because it's theater. I get it. What I don't like is, is when the performer really thinks they're very important. The, the sense I always got from him was that, boy, you really think you're doing something special here. Like, like you really think you're, you really think you're like King Diamond, but like King Diamond doesn't, but, but a King Diamond who also thinks he's doing something very special here, you know, like, <laughs> like relax, relax. Uh, so he, that frustrates me. But what happened with, what happened with Marilyn Manson? Well, we discover that Marilyn Manson is a uh, is an abuser. Yeah. Well, maybe is no. an abuser. Maybe. Uh, allegedly, I should. Yeah. <laughs> I would say obviously. <laughs> but, right. Um. So here's here's my here's where I detract from you a bit on uh, on Marilyn Manson. I think Marilyn Manson knows exactly what he's doing. Hmm. Um. And I think that Marilyn Manson is. Uh, a capitalist, right? That's fair. That's fair. And he's and he's going to. Uh, he he saw a niche of mm. people at the beginning of his career, and he saw a uh, a need for that type of music, 
and uh, a following for that type of music. And he uh, very, very savvily, if that's a word, um, yeah. exploited it. And uh, I, I don't think by, by any means that Marilyn Manson or Brian Warner is, is a dumb guy. I think he's a very smart, articulated and calculating guy. And I think he knows exactly what he's doing when he's out there performing, when he's rubbing an American flag in his ass or whatever he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what buttons he's pushing and he's doing it on purpose. Like the best thing you can do to Marilyn Manson is ban him because it only makes him stronger. Right. Mm -hmm. And that tactic's been used before with with bands before, you know, Elvis Presley shaking his hips was considered outrageous and in his day you know the beatles having long hair was considered outright like shock is part of rock right and i just feel like um marilyn manson has is the next phase of that the next i think it says more about us or us as a society that that the people buy those records (laughs) for that than it does about what brian warner's doing as marilyn manson Sure. You know, I think it's more an indictment. I, well, not even an indictment, because I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it. I don't think that there's anything wrong with the theatrical aspect of it. But like when you understand like what kind of the, what what made Marilyn Manson, uh, how what his experiences were. He was uh, he was in a Catholic school. He got thrown out of a Catholic school in like 10th grade. And when he went to public school, he got beat up all the time. And he experienced a lot of pain and a lot of frustration and a lot of anger that I think a lot of people feel. And he's able to channel that through his alter ego, Marilyn Manson. And I mean, he's a bit of a sadist, right? Um, he, he's been abused before. He's been abused in his life. And now he's in a position of power, mm-hmm. right? And since he's been around, since he's since Marilyn Manson, the 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 artistic figure appeared, that character appeared, Brian Warner has been in a position of power, which is a position that he never had before, right? He was never, he, he was never going to get a chick like Evan Rachel Wood, you know, first of all, he's 20 years older than she is, and second of all, he's a, a two at best, and she's a 10, right? <laughs> like, she was completely out of his league as Brian Warner, but as Marilyn Manson, as Marilyn Manson, he had access to her, right? Now, um, so for those of you that aren't aware, Evan Rachel Wood is the, uh, she's, she's in Westworld. She plays one of the robots in Westworld. Right. Um, she is an actress who has recently named Brian Warner as her abuser whenever she says that she was sexually uh, abused by, by Marilyn Manson. They were together for a couple of years uh they got married and they got divorced in the same year and it's kind of a whole thing but my problem with the whole Marilyn Manson Manson situation right now is um when Evan Rachel Wood named him suddenly all these people come out of the woodwork and they're like oh yeah Marilyn Manson abused me too he abused me too and uh this could like his record label dropped him right away and and i'm like well first of all did he do it (laughs) like did we stop to to find out if he did it i mean he's been accused of everything from for decades i mean because he's such a shock rock 
figure. You know, he's controversial just by being himself, you know. But, I mean, when Evan Rachel Wood was dating him, she started off dating him. He was like 38 and she was 18. Hmm. Right. So there's a power dynamic right there. Right. Right. That, that people should have been aware of. You know, now I don't expect Evan Rachel Wood to be mature enough at, at the age of 18 to understand that. But fucking Brian Warner understood it. Well, you yeah, know, sure. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, part of part of her accusation towards him is that, like, he he tortured her and he, he there was bondage and everything. Oh, and I, my my thought process is no shit. You're dating Marilyn Manson. Have you listened to any of his songs? Have you seen any of his videos like that's? Like mm -hmm. what he's into, he's into that, you know, whole sadomasochistic thing. What did you, what did, what did you think it was going to be? What did you expect? You know, that, that does not mean that what happened to her was okay. That does not mean by any means that I'm trying to victim shame her, victim blame her or anything. What I'm saying is all the people that are coming out right now, just shocked and appalled. And it's like, oh, how could he, of course he did. Have you seen him? Yeah. <laughs> like of course he has what what did you expect like he is what he is what you know you can't it's not like he's a, a different person completely on stage i mean yes he's performing on stage but like that stuff comes from somewhere like that stuff's in there that stuff's in him somewhere what did she what did she think she was getting into whenever he slipped the handcuffs on her the first time you know she had to have been thinking man this isn't gonna this isn't gonna end well <laughs> you know and i understand the whole uh aspect of of feeling afraid and, and being afraid to speak up and being afraid to and feeling like you're trapped in a relationship and this guy has power and you don't and he can financially ruin you if he wants to and like that's a terrible situation to be in but like what did we what did we think was going to happen what did she sure. think was going to happen you know and mm -hmm. that doesn't make it okay that doesn't mean that he shouldn't be investigated he should absolutely be investigated and if there's any if there's any validity to these charges he should be prosecuted because that's what we do but you know when you have a kid who grows up and was kept down all of his life and kicked around all of his life and now he suddenly has reversed the dynamic where he has power how is he going to be able to handle it how is he going to be able to control it why isn't he going to act out he's of course he's going to do that i'm not saying it's okay i'm saying i'm not surprised by it yeah i hear what you're saying i do and and you know and i, and I know what you're also not saying you know you're not saying this is, of course, Evan Rachel Wood's fault that she got no, abused, or 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 I'm that not this happened. That. I know you're not saying that, you know, and that's. Um, but I think what you're touching on is interesting because I think uh, let me let me take it in the same direction you're taking, but let me add another dynamic to it. Um, I think this is a really great example of the kind of leeway society gives powerful people um, and people with means and money, and so we have somebody who all the warning signs are kind of there. We, we know that, you know, not only is he as a performer performing in a way that's the way he is, but we know 
we know the kind of guy he is because he tells us about the kind of guy he is. Whether or not he had more people he abused or or what have you, the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, for some reason we are surprised or we are surprised that it took uh, uh, Evan Rachel Wood this long to come out or surprised that that she was scared, you know, when when really it should it should be pretty clean cut or clear cut. Abusers are the bad people, and and they break the law. They hurt other people, and and abusers should be held accountable. But what we know oh. is, well, we live in a society that is prepared to um, protect, look the other way, what have you, on abusers that are powerful. You know, think of all the people like. Like I, I, I imagine uh, all of the different uh, uh, allegations of abuse from like public servant forty-five, <laughs> Donald Trump, right. you know, and 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 uh, and how even just uh, or, or actually how how about a better example, Brett Kavanaugh, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, the the woman came out and said Brett Kavanaugh absolutely raped me, like that's what happened, and. I watched the trial. I watched the hearing, and I was like, "Yeah, seems seems legit. Like, seems like that's probably what happened." And nobody really cared. I mean, we all cared, but none of the powerful people designed to hold other people accountable cared. And Brad Kavanaugh is still on the Supreme Court, and I think that um, that demonstrates something in our society when it comes to powerful people or people with money or people with with stuff. Um, uh, having more protection to get away with things. Thing, like you said, things should still be investigated. I, I agree with you. But, but I think that that's sort of a given. Like, well, of course it should be investigated. But I know that there's a pattern to powerful people getting away with these things. Well, the problem is the dynamic that's set up and, and what you, you said earlier about um, the law, right? How do you legislate something like that? Because it's not as clear cut as, as it seems. It's not black and white, right? So, like, um, if, you're inv- if you're involved in a sadomasochistic practice, right, some people get off on that. Some people don't, you know. But if you, if you are involved in, you know, bondage, right, and you decide later on that you didn't like that, you can't turn around and call it rape you know, after the fact. Um, but it can, in the eyes of the law, I should be clear about that, okay? In the eyes of the law, it was a consensual act by both parties, right? So you can't then turn around and call it rape and have somebody held cl- criminally responsible for it in the eyes of the law. But what that doesn't show, what that doesn't mean is that that person wasn't victimized, right? Sure. Because in the in the in the course of that going on you're afraid for your life you know you're afraid that if you do something to to displease the the person that's abusing you that they're going to harm you more you know so you 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 kind of uh it's a fight or flight technique where you just kind of play dead right and you and you let it happen and that's not okay but in the, in the eyes of the law, how do you how do you legislate that? How do you hold somebody accountable for that? Because for every person that gets into a situation like that that doesn't like it, there's somebody else that that 
doesn't have a problem with it at all. Maybe the person that's abusing you isn't even aware that they're abusing you. You know, mm-hmm. now they should they be? Yes. You know, right, like right. I I don't understand the whole bondage situation because I can't imagine treating another person like that. Like I that doesn't that doesn't you know float my boat. That doesn't that doesn't turn me on in any way. But some mm-hmm. people it does. I mean, we got all kinds of tastes out there. Some people like the power some people like the submission you know it, it, it it's it's a really dangerous thing to try to legislate people's morality and legislate people's um you know desires and mm-hmm. what i think is problematic about it is we can recognize that evan rachel wood was absolutely abused we can recognize that she was absolutely raped you know but we can't turn around and say that Brian Warner is a rapist in the terms of the law, because, I mean, they're a married right. couple. They were doing things that were supposedly consensual. Right. And if they weren't consensual, then it, in the eyes of the law, it's incumbent upon the victim, which is fucked up, to say something about it and say mm-hmm. something about it then, not 13 years down the road. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. That's, That's a true. problem. And I don't know how we get around it. I really don't. Part of my problem with the whole Marilyn Manson issue right now is, is that, you know, there's been no trial. There's been no investigation. There's been no conviction. It's just one person saying, hey, I didn't like what he did to me. I felt violated. And suddenly this guy loses all of his movie deals, his contracts, his everything. And it's like in, instantaneous reaction, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't feel that that's fair either. I have some mixed feelings about it. On on one hand, I really don't believe in cancel culture. I really don't think it's a real thing. And and we're, we're only sort of talking about it in this way. Um, and the only reason I say that is because uh, whenever it's invoked, whenever it's invoked by the political right or, or whoever, like, ah, we're being canceled. It, it's usually uh, a, a particular, it's usually a comment about um, what private companies and private citizens are choosing to do and uh, in response to something somebody did or said and it's right. and it's not usually about so so like I, like Josh Hawley the senator the, the psychopathic yeah. senator who's probably going to run for president Josh Hawley loses his book deal and then he says cancel culture's real I'm being muzzled you know, to Fox or News. On and Fox News Max. with a national <laughs> audience. Yeah, you're being muzzled, all right. Give me a exactly. fucking break. <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all outrageous, you know. Or like I think about, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Louis C.K. Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. was, uh, 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 I think, also accused of stuff like this. And and different comedians are coming out like, ah, people need to relax. Like, it's cancel culture. It's whatever. But Louis C.K. is still a millionaire. He's still performing. Like, like so yeah so he did shit's not on netflix well netflix is a private company they could do whatever they want like like louis ck though louis ck though is still doing shit and it's not as though his life has fallen apart so that's something that i think about a lot i I, on the other end though i think what you're touching on um particularly with kind of all, all of this stuff like with manson the notion of being innocent until proven guilty well, and that's my legal background talking, but we're right. talking in terms of the law here. And and I do believe the innocent proving guilty thing. But I mean, more than that, like, of 
course Marilyn Manson abused her. Duh. I mean, <laughs> look at him. Look at his history. Look at his background. Look at his personality. Look at all of his, you know, of course he did. Of course he did. The question is, does he know that he did? Sure. Right? Sure. Is mm -hmm. he aware of, of what he did or how it made her feel? Is there, and, and, you know, to punish somebody without them understanding or knowing why they're getting punished is ineffective. It doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I you see know? what you're saying. And I'm not saying that she's at fault. I'm not saying that he's a good guy. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that the conversation hasn't been had. Right, right. Um, and yeah. it seems reactionary to say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to strip him of this, that, and the other. Now, it's absolutely his record company's prerogative to do that. It's up to every individual whether or not they want to continue to purchase his albums and all that, all that stuff. I have no issue with any of that. But, you know, does he understand why he was wrong? Does he understand what happened? And how do you legislate something like that? Because I don't right. think it's fair to throw a guy in jail for something if he doesn't realize what he did was wrong. Sure, sure. And I I'm think, saying I, yeah. it wasn't wrong, but. I know, I know. I, I, and I, I with you, I think you're touching a fine line that mm -hmm. I think needs to be touched. So another thought I have, uh, the the kind of mob justice thing. John Oliver had a really interesting uh, episode of his show maybe two years ago now. I can't wait until he comes back on. It'll yeah, be it's going to be is great. February 3rd, we're recording, and he's going to be like, I think February 19th, he's coming back. I can't wait. Anyway, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited for it too. But but he had a, an episode about mob justice and, and, and the way in which um, social media in particular is is sort of taking on um, the, the role of, of uh, holding people accountable in a really extreme way. And John Oliver, I thought that episode was really interesting because John Oliver, you know, he's an old lefty. Like John Oliver's like, yeah, like can't, can't like white supremacists should be canceled. Let's, let's fucking cancel them. You know, like, like yeah. he, which I'm with him, you know, like, but, but like, I thought it was a really, a, a really interesting episode because I thought it was, he, he really towed a really interesting line. Where he talks about, um, yeah, like like there are people out there who who absolutely um, should be and must be held accountable by their peers uh, when they are behaving terribly. And and my memory of the episode was interesting because John Oliver then sort of draws this really interesting dimension or line where he's like, but if 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 we're concerned with things like crime and the law, um, we have to understand how these acts of this sort of act of mob justice uh, uh, fails in a really spectacular way because we're ultimately behaving as a mob. We're not behaving as judges. We're not behaving as people who have been tasked uh, like a jury to, to hear the evidence and understand what's going on. We're, we're, we, we singularly fail to do that. And, uh, and, and he's like, and to prove it, let's interview Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> yeah. and, and, he, and he does. And he interviews Monica Lewinsky, you know, and, and, and Monica Lewinsky talks about that. She's like, yeah, I mean, like, like, like I, before it was cool, you know, I, <laughs> internet, <laughs> internet mob justice came from my ass, you know, and it's Monica right. Lewinsky. Like, like, 
she, who did absolutely nothing wrong. If the president says suck my dick, you suck it. Like, like what do you do? You, know? <laughs> you can't not suck. You can't not. Not really. You can't say, oh, no, thank you. And, and then what's the president going to do? No, no. <laughs> I'm in charge here. Like, like, like I get it. And, uh, and so I, 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 find, I find this to be a really hard conversation. On one hand, we have a, a really grotesque history in this country and in societies in general of um, encouraging silence from victims and encouraging the kind of sweeping under the rug. This is particularly true in the religion and theology world. I mean, I, I can, at this point now, I, I can count uh, on both fingers the amount of uh, um, pastors and theologians and religious leaders who have been both accused of sexual assault, convicted of sexual, like, like shown that this absolutely happened and, and, and shown the, the 30 years of sweeping it under the rug that led to them continuing to be in power. You know, we have that history. We have that history of, of you know, not believing or, or not listening to victims. And I understand why we want to correct it because we must correct it we must listen as a society the the mob justice is scary because it is not really controlled it it, it assumes that the mob sort of assumes that they get it that they understand what has happened and that now they are going to you know do the deed and and but, and the, but the mob doesn't really do any um damage to individuals, uh, what they do is damage institutions. Let me, let me talk a bit about cancel culture because uh, we always hear it from the right about cancel culture being such a terrible thing. They are just as bad, if not worse, than the left. Now, um, if you look at a guy like Al Franken, who was lost his seat in the Senate because of cancel culture, you could argue, that came predominantly from the left, right? Yeah. The left is the reason why he resigned. It wasn't the right. But if you if you look at uh, you know Colin Kaepernick, mm. the quarterback for the for the 49ers who kneeled during the, the flag ceremony at, at the beginning of NFL games, that cancel culture came absolutely from the right. Oh yeah. You know? So I mean these individuals, like you said, they're in positions of power. They're in positions of wealth. They're not, you know, going to starve because they don't have their Senate ship or their, their quarterback job anymore. But um, what it does is it, is it, uh, it harms the institutions of our, of our government and of our society, because the perception that gets out there, it, first of all, if you haven't done anything wrong, you don't have to worry about cancel culture. You're not going to get canceled. Right. right. Like, if you haven't, if you haven't done anything wrong, chances are you're not going to get accused of doing anything wrong. If you get accused of doing something wrong, yeah, probably did. Now that doesn't, that's different than the law. That's yeah. different than the law. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, I'm not going to buy Marilyn Manson's albums or I'm not going to watch the NFL anymore or I'm not going to support with my vote, Al Franken. Okay. That's one thing that's up to every individual. It's very different 
to say, well, now we're going to put him in jail. We're going to put Marilyn Manson in jail, or we're going to put Colin Kaepernick in jail, or we're going to put Al Franken in jail. That's a different argument, right? So uh, cancel culture is largely, uh, I think, a myth, Mm -hmm. but it has real world consequences and to individuals it can be devastating obviously but like you and i don't get canceled right nobody knows who i am they're not going to accuse me of rape just for the shits and giggles of it right right if i get accused of rape it's probably because i raped somebody sure right the problem is whenever you have people that are in positions of power and celebrity that that motivation could exist right uh and i'm not saying it does but I'm saying it, it, it's it's it could. And the, that that mentality, that 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 argument that it always could to the right, especially means, well, then it must. You know, mm. right now, the president's the president's uh, main argument with the election is it could have been rigged. Well, right. That doesn't mean it was. Show me evidence that it was. Well, you can't his his impeachment lawyers actually said you can't prove that it wasn't rigged since when did it become (laughs) my responsibility to prove that i didn't do something wrong when did that happen you know and but but that's the conversation that we have and then you have people polarizing and our and we have you know people screaming at each other can't get along people won't vote in congress for things that are obviously blatantly true you know so the cancel culture doesn't harm the individuals doesn't harm Marilyn Manson in the same way as it does the institutions surrounding it of our society in general. Do you understand the, the, the difference I'm trying to make? There? I, I do. I, I think that's a really uh, important and clever distinction that, that I had not really heard before, but I think is quite correct. So, so what is, what is the conversation surrounding cancel culture, but not the swaying of public opinion or, or, getting folks to, to um, feel or believe in, 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 in certain things about other people or groups of people. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think that by and large, um, those things have the most effect on our belief in institutions and our belief in, in say, um, the criminal justice system, or, or the kind of ways in, in which the, the legislation happens. And I, I think that makes sense. And, you know, we've talked about like, like not to, I mean, I love to, I love to badmouth the right because they're nuts. <laughs> but, uh, but like, we've talked about Some this people before. on the left are pretty nuts too. There are some, you, you're not wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, we've said this before, the, the sort of, in as far as cancel culture exists, uh, it, it's primarily seems to be hurting liberal people anyway, you know, because no matter how hard we try, it's not as though we can get Ted Cruz canceled. <laughs> you know, no, but I mean, doesn't it doesn't it hurt conservative people whenever uh, they can't get health care too, and they believe you, you are that they, they they can't they can't get health care and they believe that it's that 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 they're not necessarily entitled to it or that other people are freeloading and they're giving like, doesn't that hurt too? It may not hurt them in the same way, but it absolutely hurts them. It doesn't hurt the people in power. 
as much, right? But as it hurts much, the institutions. But, but it hurts the institutions, and it, and it always hurts, uh, you know, regular disenfranchised people who are being confused or controlled or or victimized, even in ways that they don't they don't know. I think that's I think that's correct. Very good. Did you see that the CEO of Parlor was just terminated by their board? Oh, really? Yeah. I did not see that. What happened with that? I'm just looking at the, the, the article right now. On January 29th, 2021, the Parlor board controlled by Rebecca Mercer decided to immediately terminate my position as CEO of Parlor. I did not participate in this decision. Great. There's some cancel culture on the right. <laughs> some cancel culture. Well, I mean, as I said, it's like they're canceling me. You can't plan an insurrection of the government <laughs> on the internet <laughs> and have it be like protected. Like the Constitution does not protect you there. That would be kind of weird. Like you can't shoot them. They're American citizens. Ah, but they're they're killing Mike Pence. <laughs> the Constitution protects me. Like, no, it doesn't. I'm sorry that you that you misunderstood that one a bullshit quote from Thomas Jefferson, and, and, <laughs> and it caused you to think that that you're allowed to do this, you know, but you can't. Well, and I I find um, did you see that that how quickly news Newsmax and OAN or backpedaling off of their uh, the Dominion, <laughs> Dominion <stuff>. voting. <laughs> Boy, whenever you threaten to sue somebody, it changes their I mean, tune, doesn't it? <laughs> it's pretty darn funny. I have when Lou laugh. Dobbs, Lou Dobbs has to issue an attraction or retraction on his own show because he is knowingly peddling bullshit, <laughs> you yep. know, so that he doesn't get his dick sued off. You know, you, you, hello. <laughs> It's, and it, and Lou Dobbs, the it, it, in the same breath, is complaining about being canceled and is, is complaining about um, being uh, muzzled. And he, he's losing his right to free speech on national television. <laughs> like, right. You're not being silenced. You have a program being watched by 300 million people. It's not silencing you. <laughs> but yeah, like... It, Silliness. Silliness. It is silly. It is really silly. I, I don't think I'll ever truly understand that. I think, I think that this is one of the, uh, one of the big turning points in my, in my life. I mean, this whole, this whole stuff has been huge for me as I, as I rethink what I think about <laughs> government and, and all of this, but, but watching the Newsmax, like like I saw Newsmax had uh, Mike Lindell on, like the My Pillow guy. My Pillow guy, yeah. You know, and he he starts going off about Dominion again. Hugo Chavez, yada yada, and and Newsmax, you know, the psychopath people, like the people who, you know, if you walk into a a, a back alley Chevy dealership, that's what they have playing, you know, Newsmax. <laughs> You know, and then you're just sitting there like, Jesus Christ, what is happening? Um, and, and, and they're they're talking over Mike Lindell and they're, they're like, you have to be quiet. You have to shut up. You have to shut up. Like, like you, <laughs> we cannot talk about this. There is no evidence like they're reading the 
the prompter that that Dominion told them to read the moment this came up. <laughs> if you don't read this every time somebody says this, we are suing you for eleven billion dollars. <laughs> you know, just like uh, Rudy Giuliani. And and that's the thing. I'm sorry to babble about this for a second, but like Rudy Giuliani is really stupid. Like like yeah. we're talking we're talking a a, a truly dumb human being who after it is announced that he is going to get sued by Dominion says, ah, yet another attempt to silence me. I'm like, Rudy, you are about to be poor in a ditch. Like, like you are about to be, to be dumped in Manhattan somewhere. Like, yes. like you need to stop lying, you know, and you need to get over it. Like it's, it's done. It's, it's way done. The the Proud Boy guys are already eating Trump anyway. They're already they already see Trump as a as a betrayer anyway. The QAnon people are are like all over the message boards, being like, "I guess Trump was a liberal shill after all." I'm like, "Believe yeah. whatever you guys need to believe, like to to get you through it." But there are two things I'd like to point out here that are kind of relevant to what we've been talking about. Number one, I want you to understand that the craziness in the government that you see now is not normal <laughs> right that is not like what the government is usually this is an anomaly i'm not saying it's going to go away because i don't know but there are adults in the room and the government isn't a bunch of morons like they we've been doing this for 250 years almost mm -hmm. there are adults in the room there are smart people down there that's that's one the second thing is the the whole Mike Lindell, my pillow guy, screaming about being silenced, and and Rudy Giuliani claiming that he's being silenced, and this is uh, again their utilization of the cancel culture myth. Sure. Again, right? It's useful to them because they can say, "See, see, it's happening to me." All these things that you saw happen. This is why you can't fling. Um, unsubstantiated rumors and claims at a company because they'll sue your dick off for the same reason that you can't sling unsubstantiated claims at Brian Warner. Sure. I see what you're saying. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. I do. So that's I the, do. that's the, that's the parallel to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't you. have it one way and not the other. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. What a world! Again, man. that's that's not saying that Brian Warner's innocent. I'm not saying that, but I mean, if it's not okay to accuse um, Dominion of changing votes, and it's not okay to accuse um, Georgia legislators of 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 stuffing ballots for Joe Biden, it's not okay to do that. Okay, you have to bring evidence if you're going to make a claim like that. Sure. Same goes for same goes for everybody. That's all I'm saying. Right, right. I'm with you, friends. Thanks for listening. It's been another Hookah Chats, Matt and Ethan, and uh, we'll see you next time.